read the Bible or listen to the Bible around the stories of Elisha's life and the miracles that God performed through him. Um, But the goal isn't so that we go from here knowing more about Elisha. Oh, well, Elisha was this and Elisha was that. The goal is that we can actually see our faith stretched and grown and our capacity to understand God more and trust God more, inspired by and, and learning principles from the life of Elisha. Because the goal isn't actually information. Our ultimate goal or God's ultimate goal is transformation. It would often start with information. We need to learn more about the character of God and God's principles. But if we just learn more and don't go and apply them, we're not going to actually experience the transformation that God has in mind. So let's carry on from last week with that idea in mind. Last week, we talked about this principle that often in order to step into our destiny, we have to first step away from our security. We actually have to step to a place that the only thing that makes sense is trusting God's faithfulness. And uh, one thing I know, having first of all been a follower of Jesus for 25 years, having been in church leadership for 20 years, is I've seen a lot of people over that time step away from their security in order and with the motivation of stepping into their destiny, but never actually making it. Stepping away from their security, yes, but not actually stepping ultimately and arriving in their destiny. I know uh, when I went to Bible college, uh, I had about 40 people in my class for the years that I was there. And uh, without casting aspersions on any one of them, interesting to me, despite the fact that many of them had, like I did, quit jobs in order to devote themselves to uh, the time at Bible college, uh, many of them Uh, had children at the time, and so they took a pretty uh, substantial sacrifice uh, financially uh, for their families and and that affected their families for that time. Uh, Some of them had moved countries in order to be at Bible college at that time. Many of them stepped away from their security with the idea that their destiny was to be uh, in some full-time paid ministry role, leading churches and leading in churches. And Here we are 20 years later, and I know that the majority of them didn't actually arrive into that destiny. In fact, some of them, sadly, no longer are even part of a church. And as strange as it sounds for the people that stepped away from their security, some of them aren't even any longer following Jesus. And, you know, as as their classmate, as somebody who, who, who did this heavy lifting alongside them, this preparation... They're stepping away from the security in order to step into their destiny. It breaks my heart to know that they didn't actually ever arrive in their destiny. And I got to think how much more it breaks God's heart that he had such incredible plans for them and didn't actually see them arrive into that place. And for my money, two reasons explain this is, and the reason that people who step away from their security don't always step into their destiny is often they don't think big enough and or they don't start small enough. And we need to make sure we do both. We're people that think big and start small. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more to the end of my message this morning. But let me start with a question. Here's my question to tee off this morning. Have you ever played the if only then game? 
Have you ever played the if only then game? If only I had more money, then I'd be more generous. If only that person would start treating me better, then I'd forgive them. Has anyone ever played the if only then game? Good. Me too. Let me give you a context into today's story. So Elisha uh, is uh, starting to get a little bit of uh, notoriety because God started to use him. By the way, let me just insert this for free. Between the time, the story last week that we, that we taught on from when Elijah came and tapped Elisha with the offer to mentor him in order to ultimately hand over his, uh, his kind of job description and make Elisha his successor. Between the time of Elijah tapping him and, and Elisha starting to get the things done, perform some miracles, was 10 years. Where all Elisha did was learn from Elijah. 10 years of persistence, of patience, of dedication. And uh, I got to tell you, In our day of instant gratification, where we no longer read tweets because they're 140 characters long, and who's got the time for that? Ten years. And now we start to see some of the stories that that ten-year preparation set him up for. Well, he started to get a little bit of traction. Anyway, around this time, there was three kings. Three kings banded together to fight an enemy that had been attacking them separately. And they thought, we'll actually put together an allied force and, uh, and we'll actually go and we'll try to defeat this enemy. The enemy was called the Moabites. And uh, the numbers, once these three kings had joined their forces together, the allied forces was a three to one majority against the Moabites. And so you'd think with a three to one majority, it should have been an easy victory that these, this allied force should have easily conquered the Moabites. But as you and I both know, not everything in life always goes according to plan, right? Even when it seems on paper, the odds are stacked in our favor. Well, this is exactly what happened. And without the victory, the three kings with their combined armies found themselves aimlessly wandering through the desert. And let's pick the story up from there. The king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom, famous for their cheese, started out on what proved to be a looping detour. After seven days, they run, ran out of water for both the army and the animals. The king of Israel said, bad news. God has gotten us three kings out here to dump us into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, isn't there a prophet of God anywhere through whom we can consult God? One of the servants of the king of Israel said, hmm, Elisha, the son of Snapchat, is around somewhere. See, some of you missed that last week, so I'm being a good guy. I thought I'd give you another bite of that cherry. Thank you for catching up with the 21st century. The one who was Elijah's right-hand man for 10 years. Jehoshaphat said, good, a man we can trust. So the three of them, the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom, went to meet him. Here's the first takeaway from this story. Your greatest need 
becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. What's important to note is up to that point, those three kings had not actually been pursuing God, had not actually been following God. And they found themselves in a pickle, a wee bit of trouble, stuck in the desert with combined forces of three armies and their animals, seven days in, dying of thirst. Didn't seem like a blessing, but thankfully, in this instance, they pivoted. This was a hinge point for these three kings, that their greatest need drove them to depend on God. You ever known anyone that has been in this kind of situation? Life's good, don't need God. Life's bad, oops, need God to fix it. I've been in this game leading churches for 20 years and I have seen this happen time and time and time and time again. When everything's great, who needs God? I got money, I got house, I got job security, I got a wife and 2.3 kids, I don't need God. And then something happens. An oh bugger moment occurs in their life. And thankfully, by the way, to their credit, many times, they turn to God. And I love that God is gracious, that God is accepting, that God is open to us approaching Him for the first time or potentially having walked away from Him previously. And you need to know that, by the way. You need to know that we need to know that for ourselves and we need to know that for the people around us. See, as a church leader, when someone comes to me and I know that they've not been following God and they come to me, you know, let's have a coffee and they tell me, man, this has gone bad and this has gone bad. Can you pray for me? I really need God to intervene in this. My job is to say, absolutely, I'll pray for you. Not to say, well, you should have thought about that before you walked away from him. You know, if it was our job to get everything cleaned up and then approach God, none of us would ever be worthy of approaching God. We come to God and we say, God, clean me up, please, from the inside out, thanks. And he says, good request. I can work on that. Now, I'll give you a little hint. Let's be people who don't just pursue God for a solution when things go bad. Let's be people who pursue God because he's God at all times. Because unfortunately, sometimes when I've seen God actually then turn the situation around, everything gets a hard reset and these people sometimes are back where they started. Don't need God anymore. Everything's hunky-dory on the gravy train to blessing. Just a little tip. So no surprise that when these three kings turned up to Elisha, Elisha had a little bit of attitude. Elisha addressed the king of Israel. What do you and I have in common? Go consult the puppet prophets of your father and mother. Elisha starts making some yo mama jokes to these guys. It's nice. I like it. Never, said the king of Israel. It's God who's gotten us into this fix. I doubt it, but he allowed it. All right. Dumping all three of us kings into the hand of Moab. Elisha said, as God of the angel armies lives and before whom I stand ready to serve. It's a good life motto right there. 
if it weren't for the respect I have for Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I wouldn't give you the time of day. That's <laughs> how you speak to kings. When you're the man of God. When you're the son of the king. The most powerful king. You speak with authority because you have the king's authority. And never need to be intimidated or scared about people with seeming more power and position than you because you and I are the sons of the king and we speak with his authority when we speak his word. And that's all Elisha was doing right here after he'd finished with the your mama jokes. He told him, wouldn't give you the time of day, but huh, considering, bring me a minstrel. This is hilarious to me. This is absolutely roll on the floor laughing to me. Three kings with three armies and all of their animals, seven days in the desert, dying of thirst, nothing and no one to turn to, come to Elisha and say, maybe you, because you're this man of God that have started to get this rock star status because of these miracles you've been performing, maybe you can help us. And what does Elisha do? He calls for some mood music. I know what's going to turn this situation around. Maybe a little Barry White. Oh, yeah. Right? Does this sound ridiculous to anyone else? Ridiculous. This is ridiculous in the bad way, not in the red foo way. This is ridiculous. Bring in some Barry White indeed. That'll fix it. They want water, not mood music. What's interesting is that something happens when we position ourselves in an atmosphere where God's word is being proclaimed through music. You know, this first 20 minutes we do at our live experience. By the way, we start at 10 o'clock. Some of you didn't know that. And uh, we have about 20 minutes of music. Some of you don't know that either. Some of you think it's the warm-up. You know, I don't need the warm-up. I'll just stretch in the car on the way here and take the field. And uh, I say to people that turn up late to any church, sucks to be you. Because there's something that happens in the spiritual realm when we actually position ourselves in an individual and in a corporate setting and allow God's Word to be infused, God's Spirit to be released in an atmosphere of music. It's called praise and worship. It's not the only way we praise God and worship Him, but it's a powerful way. It's a way that something unique happens. And guess what? Elisha calls for some mood music, and parenthetically, the author makes the point that we know when a minstrel played, the power of God came on Elisha. He then said, God's word is this, dig ditches, all over the valley. Well, I've just picked myself up having been rolling on the floor laughing from the mood music request that Elisha's just made. And now he says to three kings whose armies and animals are dying of thirst in the desert, hey, here's what God wants you to do. Even though you're dying of thirst and you're in the desert, dig some ditches. When you're dying of thirst, physical labor is not the solution to your problem. This is going to just make things worse. I, I just want a glass of water and you want me to dig ditches and sweat some more? Are you crazy? How ridiculous. And here's what will happen. 
By the way, spoiler alert, prepare to laugh some more. This is the weather forecast. You won't hear the wind. You won't see the rain. Yeah, great, Elisha, real helpful. But this valley is going to fill up with water. And your army and your animals will drink their fill. This is easy for God to do. Oh, yeah. By the way, you didn't ask me, but because God likes to do exceedingly and abundantly even more than we can ask for or imagine, he'll also hand the Moab over to you. Little bonus gift. Something to drink? Oh, and uh, God's also going to defeat your enemies without you actually having to see the rain and fight anybody. <laughs> oh, this stuff's hilarious. Maybe it's just me. Lesson, only God can send the rain and sometimes he wants us to dig a ditch. Because think about it. Do you think God has the power to dig ditches himself? He's got this big flipping wand and he could have gone kapow and boom, ditches instantly all across the desert. So why did he ask them to dig the ditches? It's, it's God's way of saying, you show me your faith and I'll show you my faithfulness. Because here's the important thing for us to understand. Faith isn't a state of mind. Faith is an action. God didn't say to these three armies, get a book, go and get a book on how to think hydrating thoughts. Think about water and meditate on water. And, and, and when you've done that, um, everything will be fine. You know, there's a self-help book about aquatic things. And if you read that and you think wet thoughts, everything will be fine. That's not faith. Faith isn't a state of mind. Faith is an action. And so instead of us playing the if only then game, God flips it and he says, if you, then I. It's a very different game. God, if only you, no, God says, if only you, then I. Comes with a promise. A request, a command, an invitation comes with a promise, but we've got to move first. You say, if only I had more money, I'd be more generous. God says, if you take a step of faith and increase your giving, then I'll get more involved in your financial world. You say, oh, if I only had more time, then I'd serve God. God says, if you turn the television off and carve out a few hours a week, I'll help you get through everything else. It's exam season right now. And there's panicking students all across Western Australia saying, if only God will help me, then I'll pass my exams. And God says, if only you'll study more, then I'll help you. By the way, is anyone here coming up to exams at this point? Is it all home studying? All the students are home studying. Just a big mistake. Put God first, 
and watch what he does when you get busy in the exam room. But I'm not going to judge them while they're not here to defend themselves. Calls for a drinks break. <clears throat> the other principle that I drew from this story around one of the chapters in Elisha's life is, and I don't know, maybe I think we'll definitely get the t-shirts made with this one on it. Believe big. Start small. Keep digging. Because a big dream without a small start is a daydream. We need to take our dreams from the clouds to the concrete. And we do that by, yeah, don't, get it, don't, don't give up dreaming big, but make sure that we start small and that we keep digging. God's big dream for the people at that time was to dig. He didn't say dig a few ditches. God's an extravagant God. He wanted a big, big victory. He was going to bring big provisions. So he said, dig ditches all over the valley. Big dream. Now, we live in Perth. We don't quite live in the desert, but if you've ever dug in your backyard, you'll know that our soil is horrible. We call it gutless soil in the gardening world here in Western Australia. Pete's digging fences for a living right now. He'll tell you. When you've got gutless soil, and by the way, it's even worse in the desert, but you know, we can just picture even in our backyards, most of us. Shovel, soil, shovel in. One, by the way, this is the big dream. Dig ditches all over the valley, right? One shovel at a time, right? Desert sand, right? Dying of thirst before you start, right? You catching up? You with me? Shovel goes in. First shovel load of desert sand comes out. Eyes look back. Desert sand's collapsed. No evidence of the first shovel full of sand having ever left the building. And the mistake too many people make is they quit then. Or they quit after 10 shovelfuls or 50 shovelfuls. God gave them a dream to dig ditches all over the valley. One shovel full at a time. We need to be people who dream big, who start small, and who keep digging. I resigned from a corporate job. I was working for the fifth largest company in the world at the time. I was a business development executive. I graduated from a university. I had a graduate career track with this particular company where they kind of just, you follow the bouncing balls and you earn more money than you can kind of spend and so on and so forth. And I, and I gave that up. I went to Bible college. Not a problem. God called me to do it. Loved that I did it. Didn't have, uh, at the time, a specific ministry uh, involvement that God uh, had, had or that I'd, I'd started. And uh, the first thing God called me to do um, was to, when I finished college each day, was to go, I was at college just here in Burswood, to go to the office of a Christian organization in North Perth and uh, do their cleaning. 
and, and uh, I, didn't, I wasn't even involved in this Christian organization. And uh, God said, do the cleaning. Well, I didn't have a car. When I'd given my company car back, I felt God just say, don't get a car, trust me. So I bought some rollerblades. So when I finished Bible college at 3 p.m. on a weekday, I'd put on my rollerblades and I would rollerblade down Riverside Drive, around a few illegal parts of uh, the city that you're not meant to rollerblade on. And I'd arrive at uh, North Perth. Now, I had, by the way, I had to phone these people, first of all, and say, hi, uh, you're going to think I'm a nutter, but um, I feel God's called me to go and clean your offices er er every evening. And like, I mean, you don't turn those offers down, right? You say, heck yeah. And so I rollerblade there. And I'd clean and vacuum and put coffee cups and wash them and put them away. And they, no, one, no one knew I was doing this. That's what I did. And then I'd, I'd, I took the rollerblades off while I did that. Although, think, thinking back, that would have been pretty cool. But uh, anyway, and I vacuumed and, and, and washed coffee cups. And, and, uh, and, then I, and then I locked the door behind me. And then I rollerbladed to my little, uh, I was living in the city, little apartment in the city. And that's what I did. That was my first God ministry call when I was at Bible college. Sounds pretty glamorous, hey. Full of prestige. No one even knew I was doing it. Nobody. Like, literally nobody. And uh, dream big. I went to Bible college because I felt God called me to ultimately lead a church one day. Dream big. Start small. Keep digging. The next assignment for me from uh, my cleaning escapades was to get involved in a youth ministry at a church, become a, a, a team member of a youth ministry. Now, any of you have ever worked with high school kids? Know that it's not always glamorous. It's not always rewarding in terms of instant kind of, you know, results. But it's what I did. And so on and so forth. And I could tell you the, the story as it goes from there, but... Hopefully, we're all going to be people who can tell our version of that story. Don't stop dreaming big. Don't make that mistake. Whilst dreaming big, make sure you're willing to start small. Oh, I'm too good for cleaning. Well, I'm above youth ministry. Oh, I don't want to be, you know, helping kids, playing games, talking about Jesus. Well, if that's what God's called you to do, you better think yourself as not only up for it, but actually privileged. I'm just happy God's got my number some days, that he calls me at all. <laughs> I'm happy, I don't care what you call me, but just don't lose my number. Dream big, start small, and keep digging. Elevate Church, currently 100 average, except when our students are home panicking. Currently 100 on a weekend and growing. You know what? We live in a city of 1.2 million people. And we've got a vision to reach as many of them as we can. And if we're doing that effectively, that's going to mean we'll count Elevate Church in the thousands. We expect that we'll have multiple locations around our city so that we can reach more people and not expect them all to have to converge into Rivervale. We're dreaming big. We're already starting to gear up for that. We're building systems and we're building leadership teams. We're building ministries that will see us reach thousands, if not tens of thousands of people around our city. Well, that sounds preposterous when you've only got 100 people. But that's the point. Dream big, 
start small and keep digging. And that matters for all of us. See, I don't, I come from a church just around the corner of 5,000 people. And uh, for the last five years of my time there, um, I would travel the world six months of the year. Much of that time on the weekends was spent preaching, preaching in all countries around the world, uh, churches of 3,000, 5,000, 8,000 people. And uh, now I preach at the moment to 60 adults. And I occasionally, none of you, but external people who know a bit of my history, they ask me, Mark, do you, do you struggle preaching to only 60 people? Do you find like you're not as kind of motivated and geared up as you were when you're preaching to thousands of people? And I say, I don't preach to 100 people. I, don't preach, I never pre- preach to 1,000 people. I preach to every one person. My job's to bring my best. It's, it, it's a surprise sometimes that any of you show up at all. <laughs> and the fact that you do show up, my job is to bring a word from God as best as I can that's going to hopefully give you some information that's going to open up some revelation that will ultimately lead to some transformation. And if I'm not willing to do my best with 60 people, God's never going to use me to lead a church to the thousands because God calls us to dream big, start small, and keep digging. And that's true of every single, every single one of our team members. I remember years ago, I heard a story at a church where this guy, Muso, super talented Muso, like Jared Beanie, can play everything, but even better, just a bit better because it's hard to get better. And uh, he wasn't leading the team. He was a part of the team. And he said to me one day, Mark, I've got all these great ideas for our music team. I wasn't in the music team. It wasn't my gig. He was just kind of sharing with me uh, as a buddy. I've got all these great ideas for our music team, how we could do this, make this better. And, and, and he had, the, he had the, 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 the stuff to be able to bring it and make that contribution to improve things. And he said, but I'm holding back. I'm holding back until they, they see that, that I should lead that, that I'm going to hold back my best ideas and I'm just going to kind of go with the flow for now. And, and when one day when they, when they promote me and get rid of the, the guy leading it now, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put all my best ideas on the table. Well, that day never came. God slapped that guy sideways within months of him making that statement. I didn't dob on him. God was listening. Dream big, start small. Keep digging. Elevate youth. Beginning of the year, we didn't have Elevate Youth Ministry. We didn't have, we didn't have a youth ministry. We decided we were going to launch a youth ministry. God brought together some team members. We've got four great team members. Pete leading the charge there. And, uh, okay, that's great. We've got team members. Now all we need is some actual kids. It's not Elevate Youth Team Members Ministry we're building. We're trying to actually build Elevate Youth Ministry. And uh, right now, we're about tipping close to 15 on a Friday night. 15, including our leaders. So 15 people here on a Friday night. From zero at the beginning of the year to 15. That's fantastic. But we're actually... 
believe that God's called us to lead a movement for us to actually change our city, for us to actually change high school in our city through Elevate Youth and through branching out around our city. And again, that sounds ridiculous when you tell people that and the next sentence you say, they say, oh, really? How's that working for you? Oh, well, we're, we're, we're nearly got 15. Yeah, but dream big, start small and keep digging. On Monday, I was uh, meeting up with Pete Goodall at uh, one of my coffee shops, aka my office, and uh, meeting at 2.30. So I scooted over there to meet him. I got there a little bit early and uh, he was walking out with Carleen, his wife. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I had the coffee shop. That's cool. You know, what's going on here? Pete says, oh, well, um, because uh, 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 Carleen's one of our youth leaders as well. As well. Uh, Pete says, yeah, uh, felt God say to me that, you know, I, I, I've been taking our other youth uh, team leaders out for coffee and investing into them. And, uh, but I haven't been taking Carleen out even though, you know, she, yes, she's my wife, but she's also one of our youth leaders. Having me taking her out for coffee, felt God saying that to me. And uh, it's interesting that the voice of God in that situation sounds suspiciously like Carleen's voice. Um, you know, however God speaks to us isn't our problem, but our job is to listen. So Pete, to his credit, listened and took his wife out for coffee. And I say, it's great. And they said, yeah, we're having a good day. Actually, we've just come from Kurong. Kurong's a Christian bookstore in Mount Lully. We've just come from there because one of our brand new unchurched girls last Friday asked us for a Bible because she doesn't have a Bible. She's never had a Bible. She wants a Bible and she wants to start reading the Bible. Oh, yeah, but we've only got 15 kids, yeah? And one of them wants the Bible. Fantastic. And then uh, that's Monday. And then uh, then uh, Friday Night Live happened again on Friday, on Saturday morning. The first thing I start thinking about on a Saturday morning is I can't wait to find out how Friday Night Live went. So proud of these guys. Incredibly proud of them. Text Pete. I, I don't text him too early. Late night, getting old. Uh, text him, Pete, how did it go? Oh, you know, Mark, great. Last night, another girl asked us, another unchurched girl if she if we can buy her a bible because she wants to start reading her bible now i tell louie my wife this story and she goes can't they just download the app bloody cheap italians mate i tell you hey doesn't they know the app's free we applied for a grant with the city of belmont to uh, uh purchase some equipment for elevate youth and uh, the grant was for $4,200. That was the application. And uh, this week we got notified that we were successful. That the city of Belmont's just throwing $4,200 over the fence into Elevate Youth because they really believe in what we're doing. <laughs> believe big, start small, keep digging. Elevate Global. Elevate Global is... Includes our strategic partnerships with Compassion Australia and Opportunity International. And we invest into both of those organizations with Compassion into a child survival program in a village in the Philippines. Opportunity International to give microfinance loans to people in Indonesia. And uh, we currently 
give $12,000 as a church, collectively $12,000 per annum in the last financial year into Elevate Global. And uh, that doesn't sound like much. I mean, one of the child survival programs requires $36,000 and we're only able to give them $10,000 and we give the other two to Opportunity International. So they need 36. We're only giving them 10. So they still need someone else to fund the balance to run this program because we only have $12,000 being given right now. But here's the deal. Four years ago, we only had $600 being given into our global fund as a church. I tell people that. I met up with a, a church leader, leads a church just around the corner, New Life Christian Center. Uh, I met up with him for coffee on, uh, on uh, Tuesday. And I, he's asking about Elevate, rah, rah, rah. And I'm talking about Elevate Global. And I said, yeah, you know, we're doing this, we're doing that. And, uh, and uh, we, he, his church give, uh, they're only a little bit big enough. So they give over a quarter of a million dollars to their global fund. And I said, uh, you know, goodness me, I'm glad this isn't a competition because we're only giving $12,000. I said to him, but you know what? Four years ago, we were only giving $600. And he said, oh, $600 a year per family. I went, no, whole church. $12 a week. Did I get the maths right? Yeah, I did. $12 a week. So even just on the numbers this morning, about 40 cents each a week. Right? Not very impressive. It calls for a drink. But now it's 12,000. And I have a dream that it will be 100,000. And then I'll tap this bozo around the corner and tell him that we're now giving more than him. And he can buy the coffee. Just kidding. Of course, it's not a competition, but you understand, we're not yet, not yet even fully funding one child survival program. We've got a vision to fund many child survival programs. We're only giving $2,000 through Opportunity International to, to release families from poverty so they can move from poverty to power by taking a loan out and, and starting or increasing a business. We're only giving $12,000, but here's the thing. We haven't finished yet. Think big, dream big, start small and keep digging. In the morning, it was at the hour of morning sacrifice, the water had arrived. <laughs> no forecast of rain, the water had arrived. Water pouring in from the west, from Edom, a flash flood filling the valley with water. Now I'll leave it to you to read on, find out how things turned out with the Moabites. Um, but I wonder how many of you have an area of your life where you are dry and desperate for rain. It could be an emotional area. It could be a relational area. It could be a financial area. It could be a health area. It could be a career area. It could be a ministry area. It could be a few areas. And maybe through no judgment, but maybe you've been playing the 
if only then game. And God's word to you this morning might be, no, if you, then I. What do you need to do? What security do you need to leave behind? What, what digging? What ridiculous, what ridiculous instruction? I thought about this during the week. If you had a logical plan that looked like it was going to arrive at a solution and you were just about to embark on that and God showed up and said, actually, you know what? I'd, I'd prefer you to do it this way and it made absolutely no sense and you've already got the plan that's going to lead you to the logical solution. God, I mean, literally turned up like maybe at the foot of your bed like, hello, and gave you this ridiculous plan. Which one would you choose? You have to answer that. It's worth thinking about. But my prayer is that for those of you that have a dry area, that needs rain, that needs a solution, for those of you that have got an enemy that's coming at you, that you need to defeat, I pray that this this story, this morning, and the principles that we've taught from it, that you'll apply them and see the sort of result that God has in mind. See hope and see faith. But remember, faith isn't a state of mind. It's a course of action to go from here and do what God's called you to do. One thing beforehand, we'll show a little preview of next week's story from Elisha to give you an opportunity for those of you that have never made a decision to follow Jesus we're going to give you that opportunity right now and I spoke earlier about this notion of people including these kings that weren't actually following God that didn't actually have an active relationship with him and and thankfully circumstances drove them to him maybe some of you you've never actually had that active relationship with God you've never actually pursued him you've never opened yourself up to trusting him We want to give you that opportunity right now to say for yourself, God, I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want to trust you. I want to put my faith in you. If you've never made that decision, in a moment, I want you to put your hand up. You say, yeah, God, that's me. Today, I'm turning to you. I want to follow you. I want to put my faith in you. I want to trust you from this day on. And you'll put your hand up. When I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to quickly pray right where you're at. We'll just pray all of us sitting in our seats. I don't want to miss you and I don't want you to miss this opportunity. If you've never said to God, I want to follow you, put my trust in you, put your hand up right now. When I see a hand, you can put it down and then we're going to pray real quickly. I don't want to miss anybody. A widow, about to lose her sons to a debtor, was desperate for the prophet's help. Her last possession was a jar of olive oil. Elisha told her to collect as many jars as she could. Then, God did more than she could imagine. Get ready to be blessed as we see God's ridiculous provision 